0: You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Oh, Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are so sweet. Thanks to Jimmy and the band. It's time of worship. Thanks to each of you for raising your voices, your hearts to the Lord. Sundays are sweet i i enjoy reading the weekend paper does anybody else like reading the paper the actual printed paper i'm kind of old school in this regard so i was kind of excited whenever uh, the paper started being thrown in my driveway and i was not a subscriber shows up and I'm, you know, backing out, headed for church. Oh, there's the Sunday paper. And I just set it aside and think, I'm going to get to spend some time with the Sunday paper. For weeks on end, the Sunday paper was showing up in my driveway. And then since I'm not a subscriber, it stopped, stopped showing up. So I've been missing the Sunday paper, just not feeling like it's all there. And I was driving in my neighborhood a few weeks ago and I, I saw a paper in the middle of the street. I thought, well, no one else has, you know, it's not tied to any address, so I watched. I had to come back around and wait and just, just to see if it was somebody else's paper. Waited till the afternoon, and it was still there. So I got the paper, and I brought it home. Now, that paper had an article in it that was like an article I've read just pretty much every year for I don't know how long. Same article similar type information, and yet I brought it home and I saved it. So why why would someone cut out, I mean out of this old school technology, an article, save it and bring it home when you already know what's in it, you've already heard it before, and it's depressing information. You already know what's in here, you've seen it before. Now this one ended up not being the Albuquerque Journal, but this kind of information was in all of the papers across the country as Pew Research put out their latest study on the decline of Christianity, right? You've seen these, these statistic information about where Christianity is. So as it turns out, in uh, 2009, 77% of U.S. adults identified themselves as Christians. This year, in 2019, 65% of U.S. adults identify themselves as Christians. So in 10 years, 12% decline. And they go on and they, they show about how the nuns category is growing. These are the people that say, I have no religious affiliation at all, I'm nothing. Maybe I'm atheist, maybe I'm agnostic, maybe I'm nothing. In 2009, that number was 17% of U.S. adults, and now, 2019, it's 26% of U.S. adults. That's nearly a quarter of the adult population. And I'm I'm a glutton for punishment, and so I keep reading these statistics, and I keep seeing, all right, well, what about how frequently do they show up at church? Well, if someone comes once a month, to church, that would represent in 2009, 52% of the US adult population. Now, this year, it's 45%. And once a month, uh, or or those that go just a few times a year, just a couple of times a year, that number's inclining. So those numbers have flipped where it was 47% in 2009, and now it's all the way up to 54% why would I do this on a perfectly good Sunday morning with good worship? What what am I doing bringing up these statistics, especially to you? I mean, you're here in church on a Sunday morning. It's depressing. It's not worth looking at. Well, I mean, I think the summary is that more and more people are going to church less and less frequently. And so what I want to do today with our time together It's kind of answer the question that I think a lot of people are asking. What's the point of following Jesus? Why bother? I think that's probably what's behind these numbers, as those outside of Christianity say, I just don't know what the point is anymore. And even those inside of Christianity are saying, I don't know what the point is of following Jesus. Now, the way I want to do it today is not to come and try to convince you that Christianity is this great thing, or try to convince you to follow Jesus. I'm not going to try to provide an apologetic or a defense for Christianity. I'm going to do it a little differently. I'm going to describe how one follows Jesus. What it looks like to follow Jesus day in and day out. And it's actually something that we've been doing for a number of weeks here. In this series, Kingdom Now, we have looked at the first things that Jesus said and each one of those first phrases that he articulates has communicated new information to us that I'm kind of capsulating in words. So if, if we were to think about the first things that Jesus said, some of those early on ones were about being with Jesus in his presence. Jesus communicated words of power as he acted to cast out evil out of people. He, he said things like the proclamation of the good news Of the kingdom of God and then last week we saw as Jesus pushed people forward to go with him to go on to move on mission with Jesus those things are what we've been looking at but today if you wouldn't mind standing we're gonna stand for the reading of God's Word from Mark chapter 13 and read a story that also pushes us deeper into these words this is Mark chapter 13 Chapter 3, starting in verse 13. He went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, to be with him, and to be sent out to proclaim the message, and to have authority to cast out demons." So he appointed twelve Simon, to whom he named the, gave the name Peter or Rock, James, son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we pray today that your word come, not simply inward, but with power, with full conviction, and the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, in this story that's familiar, if you're part of that group of Christians that's been around Christianity for a long time, Jesus calls his apostles. And we find out that they're going up on a mountain, which gives my heart great pleasure because I love to go into the mountains. But whenever you see geography mentioned in Scripture, sometimes you have to look a little closer because it might not just be talking about a place, but giving you some metaphor, some description. When people go up a mountain, they are going to get closer to God. They're seeking God's presence moving up into the heavens to be closer to God. So Jesus gathers around him his disciples that have been following him for some time now, and he calls to him those whom he wanted, and they come to him. And in this story, it's interesting because we know who the characters are. The first four that he describes have names, and they're all fishermen. Peter and Andrew, James and John. He's picked up a tax collector, he's picked up a political revolutionist, and then six other people that we don't really know what they do, but all of them are now following closely with Jesus. And they're called, they are summoned as his disciples into this select group of apostles. They're still disciples, but they're drawn deeper into the inner circle of Jesus' close people that he's preparing. Mark gives us lots of words. He says that they are appointed as apostles, which sounds kind of official, but he's using the same construction, the same words that he used back along the seashore of Galilee. He is making them as apostles. He's forming them in the same way he told them, I'm going to make you to fish for people. Well, then they're also named the 12. It's kind of an official designation as well as the apostles, the sent ones. So there are all these titles that they're given as they're drawn deeper into discipleship. Now, as I look at it, it's kind of, there's something of a contradiction in what happens in this story. Look at the movement. You go up the mountain, Jesus calls to him those he wanted to be with him and to be sent out okay now which is it you know come over here to go away you're called to be with jesus and to be sent out is that not confusing you know come away go come here go away which is it i don't think jesus is trying to be confusing or even contradictory he's describing this path of discipleship for us That there's a part of discipleship where we come and we are with Jesus and in Jesus' presence. And then there is a time when we are sent as well, with Jesus' presence, out into the world. If you look at the flow of how these disciples have been following, they start out as listeners, just kind of paying attention, observing like a crowd from the distance. But then they become followers, closely patterning their lives, just observing and seeing what Jesus does. And then finally, to this point where they're appointed, not just as followers, but as sent ones, moving outward into the world. It's easy to look at a story like this and think, well, that doesn't apply to me. Do we have any apostles in the audience today? Few people are going to raise their hands for that, and we might wonder about the one or two that might raise their hand. Well, yes, I am an apostle. Well, I think that this is more than just history. This is more than just telling us, oh, these are the apostles, here are their names, these are their careers, and this is what Jesus is doing with them. I think it's not just about history. I think these apostles are held up as models. They are model disciples. They stumble, they make mistakes, but they are ones that model for us the ideal for discipleship. I kind of compare it almost to elders, like the elders and their wives in this church. They're held up as examples where we look and we realize the elders, the ministers, these are people that we value and want to follow. Do you remember what Paul writes as he writes in the pastoral epistles? That if anyone desires the office of overseer, they desire a good thing. If you look all around that That text, it says all of us should be desiring to be that kind of person. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're striving for. Are they perfect? No. They'll be the first ones to tell you that. They'll even acknowledge it when they make mistakes. We are not perfect, but we're examples. I think in a similar way, that's what's going on with the apostles. They are held up as examples where we are to be like them. We are to make progress in our walk with Jesus, to not simply be listeners, but to move towards followers and to move towards being sent by Jesus. And if you notice, there's lots of contrast being thrown up by Mark in this Gospel of the people who are the real followers and those that aren't. It's been so strange because the only people that confess Jesus as the Holy One and as Son of God are demons. You see, demons are not disciples. Disciples differ from demons because they make the confession and they believe Jesus is Lord. Same thing with Jesus' family. You would think that they are disciples, and many of them became disciples. But in Mark, they think Jesus is crazy and they go to restrain Jesus. Disciples are different from Jesus' family members because they are those who are gathered around Jesus and those who do the will of the Father. You see these contrasts that are being made? It's maybe most poignant, poignant to me whenever Mark points out the religious leaders, because they're watching Jesus, looking for him to mess up, waiting for him to do something horrible like heal a person on the Sabbath. And they, Mark tells us, watch see that he's going to heal on the Sabbath, and they go away to figure out how to kill him. Religious leaders are sometimes not disciples. They are not those that have confessed the lordship of Jesus, and they are sometimes not those willing to follow Jesus and be sent by him. There is a big distinction between disciples and all of these other people around him. Well, a disciple is someone that's learning how to live their life from Jesus. They're apprenticed to Jesus. Students of Jesus. Designated to do the four things that we've been talking about here in Mark. So I want to make it as simple as possible as I can for you. Up on the screen, I've got those words again that represent Jesus first, the first four places where Jesus speaks. And if you look in that lower left-hand corner, the presence of Jesus designates our being with Jesus. And Mark tells us that right away. Jesus wanted people to be with him. If you move up to the left top corner, we've seen the power of Jesus to cast out evil. Disciples not only are with Jesus, but they do the things that Jesus did. Here Jesus is empowering the apostles to do just that. You move over to the right corner, the proclamation, the message, the good news of the kingdom of God coming near. This is what disciples say. We are those saying the things that Jesus said. That God's reign is here, it has arrived, and God's reign is taking hold over my life. And then down in the bottom, about proceeding forward or moving forward, this is going. Going with Jesus on Jesus' mission. So if we wrap it all together of what a disciple is to look like, is that someone a disciple is someone who is being with Jesus, who is doing the things Jesus did, saying the things Jesus said, and going with Jesus and where Jesus sends on the mission of God. So what I'd like to do is just take two of those today and kind of give some texture to them, kind of make them come a little bit more clear to us. Let's take B, being with Jesus. Whenever you, when, What I want you to think about when you think about being with Jesus is living your life in the company of Jesus. That you imagine everywhere you go being in the presence of Jesus. Where you're trying to imitate his life with your own. That you're facing whatever comes your way in this partnership. You and Jesus together tackling what comes your way and you don't have to go alone disciples go together there are others with you in this journey that's why we are here gathered today together we are disciples strengthening one another in this path of being with jesus it's shorthand for having friendship with jesus a a, a friendship that transforms us and shapes us and changes us is it manifest by prayer and bible study and going to church yes but it's also manifest by every minute, every moment, living in the presence of God. We might even think about how God has revealed himself to us as creator that seems mysterious and far off. But with Jesus, it's a little more relatable to understand how God acts in this world. But then Jesus left. He rose, he ascended, and was gone leaving behind for us the Spirit to live in us and with us. So what it looks like for us is that when we go into work and we're handed a job that we did not expect, we take a deep breath and we realize that we're in partnership with Jesus. When we have a child that throws a temper tantrum, maybe it's our own child, maybe it's a child that we're teaching at school, maybe it's a grandchild. We take a deep breath and realize we're doing this together with Jesus. Whenever we face a situation where a crisis happens suddenly, like last night when Don and I saw a car accident right in front of our eyes, and you just are stunned, wondering, "Do we run? Do we go? Do we? What's going to happen?" You take a deep breath in those intense moments. When everything slows down and you realize you are with Jesus, you are not alone. Well, that's just a little bit about what it looks like to be and to exist in the presence of Jesus. Let's talk about the saying the things Jesus said. Now, this one, probably a lot of speech has been spent on, right? How can you share your faith? How can you proclaim the good news? We've been given Jesus' message of the good news of the reign of God, and and it's important to learn, to study, maybe even to memorize the words that Jesus has said, to look at them and let them be a part of who we are. It's also another step to not only know that in our minds, but for that to inform us from our very core where we are looking for opportunities to express the fact that God reigns in a variety of circumstances. In fact, sometimes we have to look really, really hard at a situation to see how God might reign in it. For example, you begin talking with a cousin who's a meth head, and you see what they're doing with their lives, how they are destroying their lives and becoming addicted, and you begin to wonder, All right, what is it about their kingdom? Are they happy with that kingdom? Are they content with where it's going? Or maybe it's talking with someone who is addicted to food or maybe addicted to avoiding food entirely. How is it that we begin to imagine our lives under the reign of God and knowing that God rules? What are the places where we're trying to remain the ruler? So how can we speak in this good news of the kingdom of God? Even to our boss, who comes and gives us something at the very last minute, who works us over, how how do we respond? What do we say? How do we express that God rules and God reigns? You see, in this speaking, we're releasing control of our own kingdom and recognizing the control of the kingdom of God. Now, I realize This is a hard teaching. It's hard to think about what it looks like to be and to do and to say and to go with Jesus. It's difficult. In fact, it's difficult in times like this whenever we we just can't help but read the paper and think, well, why why bother? Fewer and fewer Christians. Well, you'll have to bear with me, but I'm less and less concerned about people that are not at church. Whenever I, I read an article like this, I don't get all worried and begin wringing my hands. Frankly, I don't really care who's not at church. Now that might sound harsh. It's not that I don't care about the people who are not wanting to pursue the life of Christianity. By no means at all. And it's also not me speaking piously like, let's just be the spiritual ones. Nor is it some kind of escapism like, let's just form a circle and an enclave against the world. No, but I just find that Christians get so hung up on the negative, who's not here, rather than the positive of who is here. I mean, even in this article, if you look, there's things that are surprisingly good news in it. I mean, if you keep reading deeply, you'll find that of the people that go to church one to three times or more, that number stands at 62% in 2009, and it's the same percentage in 2019. So there's a group of people that are going, of those Christians, there's a bunch that are coming frequently. In fact, if you look at those who are uh, coming to church in the 1970s, let me look at this and see how it's worded here. In the 1970s, people that come uh, one, to, one to three times per month, that sits at 15% in 1970. So that's, they're more frequent attenders. Do you know what that number is in 2019? 15%. Over this 50-year study, there's a group of really committed Christians that are still participating. Does that make sense? So it's smaller. There aren't as many of those folks, but they're committed. And it's those 15% that I'm focused on. I want to focus on the positive of how do we make a group of disciples? How do we produce people? Because that's, that's probably 100% of the people that are here, right? Those that are regular in their faith and wanting to grow. I prefer not to get hung up and wring my hands about those that aren't here and instead say, what are we counting? Because sometimes in these numbers of just counting who comes to church, I think churches get caught up in that game. An important game of counting dollars and counting members, these are things we want to be about, but what about counting something deeper are we counting transformed lives of how I am becoming more and more deeply involved as a disciple in my life? You see, what we count counts. We focus in on those things that we count, so how could we focus in on the kind of people that we're making, the kind of disciples that are coming out of this place? That is exciting because that helps us focus not on who is not here, but who is here and who wants to go. Maybe that's why Jesus calls those whom he wanted and they come to him. A mark of discipleship is coming. And I think that there's probably some realistic things out there in the world for why people don't want to become a Christian. Things like when they look at public Christians, and they see that they're not any different from everyone else. Or when they look at Christians and they see what they say, but then they look at the outflow of their life, and their ethics, and their finance, and their sexuality doesn't line up with what they say. And people think, what's the point? They have harsh words for us. And I think that moving forward into the future we as disciples of Jesus need to worry about counting those things and becoming the kind of people that look more and more like Jesus that are everywhere in his presence that are doing the things Jesus did saying the things Jesus said and going on mission with Jesus and that can be very exciting. Let's let's go to God in prayer. God, it's a hard word today. It's a hard word. When you called these apostles, they had no idea what was ahead of them. That they were going to face persecution, ridicule, and death. They were going to face ministries that were hard. And all they were prepared to do was fish, collect taxes. Father, we need your strength. We need your presence with us to help us to become the kind of disciples that draw other other people to you. Our mission is bringing people, bringing Jesus to a community in need, introducing people to Jesus. And Father, we need your help in that because we know that we need your presence. Father, this week, would you help us? Would you help us have eyes to see this world as you see it? Through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever, we ask this. Amen.